Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner for the Next Step Journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, spiritual growth, vocation, or even your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. And we welcome each of you to Next Step Leadership. Uh, Tracy, uh, I could say like every week, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about or the person that we will be talking with. But I, I need to say it again today. I'm, I'm excited, Tracy, about what we will talk about and my dear friend who is with us today. Absolutely. Linda Gunter, it is a pleasure to have you with us today. Uh, I, we were kidding just before we started taping about passion. And you are, no doubt, one of the most passionate people ever. And I love that about you. Um, I have seen the fruit of your ministry through the kids of Love Him, Love Them. And um, I tell you, I, I remember one of our staff members was so, he's, we've got to have Linda Gunter. We've got to have those kids here. And Bob, uh, McConnell was the the one um, mentioning his name on the air. Uh, he, what a man of God! What, but he has so believed in you, and he was the bridge that got you first on campus, I believe. But welcome to Next Step Leadership. Well, thank you so much. What an honor to be all the way here in the big city of Bogart. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, <laughs> suburbia of big time Athens, Georgia. Exactly. Yeah. And I came all the way from L.A., the big city of Livonia, to <laughs> come down and join you guys. <laughs> Oh, well, you're a rock star. Yeah, and, and you are you are a star to us in so many ways when you think about what the Lord has done and is doing. Uh, so, yeah, tell us tell us what He is doing. Tell oh, us wow. a little bit about what yourself. He, what is He not doing would be easier based on our time frame. But, yeah, so, you know, I've, I've finally learned that God will use anybody for anything, right? The Bible mm-hmm. tells us that the Lord's searching. He's searching. And I always say... You know, I have kids in my house that don't speak English, and so I have to define words all the time. And searching is what you do when you can't find the remote for the television. That's searching, <laughs> right? And it's because nobody goes up and changes the channel anymore. If you don't find the yep. remote, you just don't change it. But he's literally searching, looking for a heart that is turned toward him mm-hmm. so that he can use it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it just amazes me. I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do podcasts and uh, outside of the Christian ministry, which I love. And I was just on one last week dealing with paranormal. And whenever mm. we, we look at that, we see that God, God, God has to search for a heart to use. Mm. Satan seems to be able to find them left and right, right? Mm. To be able to have instruments that he can use constantly. And so I just think uh, it would behoove us to open up the eyes of our heart. Mm. And when God is searching, if we would just be quick to obey, even when we don't fully understand, uh, we could just reap rewards that are insane. And that's that's exactly what's happened in my life. So, so you know, that started way back in 2004 with a hot mess. Mm. And that was when I received a phone call the day of the Georgia-Florida game uh, that my very best friend had been murdered mm. and uh, at the hand of her husband. My. Uh, using a AK-47, and then he turned around and picked up a knife and killed my friend's mom. And so uh, she had five children, and in five minutes, those five kids lost their mom, their dad, and their grandmother. Mm. And that was a hot mess. Yeah. And I'll never forget that phone call. Uh, you know, that fear that comes over you, that, that inside of you that just gripping, and, and you just don't know what to do. 
And I had no idea what to do. And those kids literally here in Georgia, we have defects. They fell through the defects cracks and they ended up in New York. That happened on a Saturday morning at 530 in the morning. Mm. And by Sunday afternoon, they were in New York, uh, which is where my friend's dad lived. Now, keep up with this. This is a 78-year-old guy. He had just lost his wife and his daughter at the hand of his son-in-law. And now he gets five kids, right? He's 78 years old. So I, at that time, I owned a day spa in the big city of L.A. Um, my husband and I were my husband and I were like the Chip and Joanna Gaines before there was a Chip and Joanna Gaines. We were <laughs> rehabbing properties and renovating houses, and that's actually how I had met my friend. She was a mortgage broker, and so here we are. We continued to stay in touch with the kids uh, just through telephone uh, while they were in New York, but. Fast forward, and all of the stories in our first book, Peanut Butter Crackers and Flip Flops, it tells all the details of that. Mm. Um, but literally two years later, I got another phone call. <laughs> Every now and then, I don't want to answer the phone because mm. my life completely changes with just a phone call. And it was my friend's dad, who I'd only met twice in my life. Mm. Once was at a baptism here, and once was at the double funeral of his wife and daughter in New York. And he said, Linda, I have searched everywhere. Uh, at the time, he didn't tell me, but he, would, he had recently found out he was terminally ill. Mm. And he said, uh, I can't keep these kids. Now, here's a little piece of information. My friend was Haitian, and so mm. her children were Haitian. Sure. And he said, I've, t- I've called all over Haiti to all of our relatives. We have some relatives in France. I've reached out everywhere, and nobody wants five kids. And he said, so you're my last phone call. If you don't take the children, I'm going to have to split them up and put them in foster care. Mm. No, no pressure. Have, yeah. And, you know, I'm a really godly woman, right? Of course, I'm sure you know my answer. I said, dude, you picked the wrong chick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you saved me for your last call. You should have. Found. I don't have any kids. I don't like kids. I mean, my husband and I made a deal on our first date. I mean, we, we were at this Embassy Suites Hotel, this very nice restaurant, white tablecloths, candlelight. And some nine-year-old little girl went running through with a naked Barbie doll. And I was like, dude, I don't know about you, but I don't want any of them. He was like, absolutely. <laughs> On our very first date, we shook hands and said, no kids. And so now here's this man asking me to take in five kids. My husband overheard the phone call and basically mentioned James 127. Mm. And he said, you know, Linda... Real religion that God himself considers pure and faultless is to care for the widows and the orphans in a hot mess. And I said, I don't care. (laughs) I'm not Jesus. And I don't even know where the schools are here. And David, I'm driving a Jaguar at the time, right? Mm. We're real estate investors. I don't even have a car big enough for five kids. You know, what are we? So I argued back and forth. And finally, I listened to my husband. I was quick to obey, even when I had no flipping idea how in the world we were going to make this happen. Literally had to, I mean, here's every girl's dream to go from a Jag to a minivan, right? (laughs) I had to borrow a minivan to go pick them up. But on the 17th day of the seventh month of the year 2007, the family living in my home in Gumlog, Georgia, went to the size of seven with children the ages of seven to 17. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys know the Bible. You, you should look it up. You may not know this, the, um, the amazing things that happened in the Word of God on the 17th day of the seventh month. Mm. It's unbelievable how many things happened. But in my life, what changed my world forever was taking in these five children. Now, I, I cannot 
you can call any of them now and they'll tell you how ill-equipped I was. I mean, I was <laughs> ill-equipped, okay? The Bible says that God will equip you for what he brings to you, mm-hmm. and that had to happen because I, I, I didn't... We got thrown out of clothing stores because we were in there taking up all of the dressing rooms. I'll never forget. There's so many episodes where the lady was like, if you don't know what size your kids wear, you need to get, you know, it's like, mm. I can remember going to the pharmacy and people would say uh, to get a prescription for one of the children and they would be like, well, what's the birth date? I was like, oh, the birth date. I don't know. Let me look on my phone. You don't know the birthday of your kids? I was like, girl, don't start with me. Right? Um, just, uh, and you know, Chris, that's when you first came into my life because your wife Mm-hmm. was one I, I didn't know where the schools were in our area mm. i had no idea and then bam i had two in elementary one in middle one in high school and one who had dropped out of school mm. while they were living in new york so you talk about dealing with the gamut all the way up and down the spectrum mm-hmm. and i was not in a place spiritually that i needed to be mm. i really wasn't and so that didn't help matters yeah so Fast forward, I, I had several businesses. I knew how to run a business, but I didn't know how to run a family. So I ran our family like a business. We, had, we were run by Robert's Rules of Order at family meetings. We had a minute book. We had a secretary. Uh, we had to vote on everything. Uh, my kids can sit around a board table now and run it. Um, and so by November of 2011, I had this amazing idea. I was going to take these kids back to Haiti because I didn't think they were very grateful to me. So I was going to take them back to where they could have ended up. And then all of a sudden I thought, you know, that'll do it, right? They're going to be like, oh, mm-hmm. gosh, Mommy Linda, you are amazing. You know, we could have ended up here and look what you did for us. And so at our November 2011 family meeting, I made a motion. And I said, I make the motion that this Christmas nobody gets anything. And instead, we're going to take all the money we would normally use for gifts. And we're going to use it to take a trip to Haiti. And we're going to find some children in Haiti to help. And they were like, you must be out of your mind. Everybody feels sorry for us. We get a lot of gifts for Christmas, right? I couldn't get a second to the motion, but we had a lot of discussion. And again, that whole story is in that first book. But fast forward, Christmas 2011, my very white husband, myself, and our five little Haitian kids got on a plane, and we went to Haiti. And we found an orphanage with 17 girls, and we took Christmas for them. We now run that orphanage. (laughs) We found a guest house. We stayed there. It's now our guest house. Mm. Um, and while we were there, the gentleman that was taking us around, he said, Linda, I have a friend who was a music teacher. Now, keep in mind, this is the year after the devastating earthquake in Haiti. Right. That happened in January of 2010. He said, I have a friend, and uh, they ended up with 30 children. And, you know, I've taken in five, so I'm thinking, oh, this chick's got to be crazy, right? Who takes in 30 kids? <laughs> He said, but all of these children lost their primary caregivers during the earthquake, and they knew this guy was the music teacher, so they just all sort of ended up at his house, and he and his wife took in these 30 kids. They're not an official orphanage. They don't have support. I just want to take you by there. And I said, no, we're not. That's ridiculous. We didn't bring gifts for them. You know, I was very argumentative. I was like, this is ridiculous. It's not in my plan, (laughs) that four-letter word. I don't use that word anymore. Um, And so anyways, again, my husband was like, absolutely, we'll go. So we get on the back of this cattle truck. And my five kids, my husband and myself, we get off right at this this building. And we have to go by this pile of trash that's about the size of your office. Not that your Mm. office looks like a pile of trash. but. (laughs) (laughs) And when I got out of that cattle truck, there were uh, a goat and a pig and two little boys that were rifling through that trash. And they were all there for the same purpose. They were looking for food. Yeah. 
And that messed me up. Mm-hmm. And then we had to go into this building that had been still destroyed. It was st- still under construction from the earthquake. There was a river running through the building. And we go up three flights of stairs, and we get up to the top. No running water, no electricity. And these 30 children that you see on the back of this new book were upstairs. This was my first experience with miracles. And I just want you to know now that I've just been offered a television show called Miracles with Mommy Linda. But this was my first experience with miracles. We had a suitcase with us. And when we opened it up, there was a pair of shoes in there that we had not placed in there. And it was the appropriate size and gender for each one of those children. In addition... Mm. There were many other items in that suitcase we had not placed in there. Mm. We did what everybody does on a mission trip, and I want to make it very clear this was not a mission trip for me. This was a trip for me to prove something to my children, and instead God wrecked my world. Mm. Mm. That's how he does things. (laughs) (laughs) While we were there, this place started to annoy me because of the smell and the odor. Mm -hmm. And I was ready to go. I gave my husband that look. You guys should be familiar with it. You're both married. And my, <laughs> my husband did not listen to me. Mm-hmm. And instead, he said, I want to talk with the guy that runs this place, and we want to figure out what we can do to help him. So we sat down with an interpreter across a table similar to this. And my husband said, listen, my wife and I want to know what is your greatest need? And then we have to operate through an interpreter. I'm speaking, we're speaking English. They're speaking Creole. And the man answers back through the interpreter and says, oh, you just met our greatest need. And I thought, see, here we are. We're in this place. It stinks. It's a hot mess. And now we got a jacked up interpreter because I can look around and see what their greatest needs are. <laughs> and this guy's saying, we just met it. And that's not true. Say it again. Ask him again. And he says, oh, no. My wife and I have been praying for three months for someone to bring our children's shoes. And you just did. Now, at that point in my life, I didn't know anybody that prayed for three hours, three minutes, three days, not three months. I didn't even know that aspect of praying. And I was, I don't know if you've ever felt the Holy Spirit inside of you, but I was feeling very uncomfortable. Mm. So I pushed my chair back from the table and I looked at my husband and I was like, let's go. And the man stuck his hand across the table in English. He said to me, Mommy Linda, before you go, I want for my kids to sing for you. Mm. Now, I'm a pretty bold chick. I think you guys can tell. I don't mind saying whatever I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't figure out how to say, I don't want your little orphan kids singing for me on Christmas Day. You know, I'm out of here. So instead, I walked across and I sat down on a urine-stained daybed. Mm. They handed me a four-month-old child that had been dropped off the mm. night before. And those 30 kids came and stood in front of me. And they sang this little light of mine. Wow. They sang it in five different languages. Five languages. And I sat there and I lost my mind. Mm -hmm. I couldn't compute in my mind the joy that I was seeing coming out of the children because it shouldn't, it didn't compute. Mm. It was almost as if, you know, do they not realize what they don't have? Do they not understand? They don't have running water. They don't have electricity. They don't have a Christmas tree. There's no ham on the table. This is Christmas Day. And yet they had a joy that was coming out of them. And I literally felt like at that moment that Jesus Christ tapped me on the shoulder and said, Linda, I want you to look at these kids. This is the joy of the Lord. Hmm. And girlfriend, you ain't got it. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't got it. 
you know, your joy comes from your circumstances. Mm. And when your husband does what you want him to, and when these new kids act the way you want them to, but these kids have mm-hmm. joy even though their circumstances yeah. are horrible, even though they don't have any material things that they should be thankful for or grateful mm. for. And I walked out of that orphanage that day a completely different person. And I told the guy that brought me there, I said, you know, somebody Mm. ought to bring those kids to the United States. Wow. I said, you're probably not going to believe this. Everybody I know, they have running water. They have electricity. Matter of fact, everybody I know, they have everything they need. And most of them have everything they want. Mm. But they're not happy. That's right. They don't have any joy. And he looked back at me with his thick Haitian accent, and he said, Oh, Mommy Linda, every American I bring here says the same thing. Hmm. But nobody ever does anything about it. Wow. Mm. We came back home, and at our January family meeting, I just asked my kids, I said, What was that trip to Haiti? You know, was that a one-time thing, or what are we going to do about it? And my youngest daughter, at that time, I had five children, now I have 12. She looked at me and she said, Mommy Linda, we don't really have a choice. Those kids, they're counting on us. Hmm. So my kids did everything from, we took over the state park concession stand, all the money we raised from that went to help in Haiti and we just each one of them did different things selling cake pops or bracelets and for the next four years actually we've never celebrated a traditional Christmas since then Mm -hmm. we've always gone back to Haiti I reached out to every major organization that has any sort of a footprint in Haiti and you know there's a lot Mm. (laughs) there's a lot of people raising a lot of money for Haiti I shared our dream and everybody said you're crazy And if you think the American government and the Haitian government is going to work together for you to bring an entire orphanage from Mm. Haiti to the United States, I don't know whose money you're spending, but you need to hang it up. Mm -hmm. And yet, as you know, in 2016, those kids came to America. They sang in a manual. They sang all the way up and down the East Coast from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, to the White House. Mm. And my prayer was that the same thing that happened to me while I was sitting on that urine-stained day bed would happen to the congregations, almost like a reverse mission trip. Mm. And that's what happened. Part of our service or our concerts were that our children would go out and pray for people. Mm-hmm. And during that prayer time, yeah, during that prayer time, we, that's when we first started to experience healings. Now, if you take all of that and fast forward to today, this is probably one of the most remarkable parts of this story, is that 22 of those 30 children had the opportunity to stay here in the United States legally on student visas. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but three of them are Mm -hmm. at Emmanuel College. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I've had one in class. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the most gifted bass players I've ever met. Yeah. Sebastian. Yeah. Yeah. And I just keep thinking as you're telling this story, how many people have been invited, dared, called by God to do something to help another person uh, take the right steps in life, but we haven't been willing. Yeah. And, as I, and as I hear your story, I look at your books, I read your books, I'm asking God uh, to help each of us be willing to obey. Well, again, I love this story. We'll, we'll let you talk more uh, in our next podcast, but 
Tracy, you and I both were just like crying and nodding, yeah. smiling. We laugh one minute and our heart breaks the next. Mm-hmm. But I want our hearts to break like yours has broken. And your life has changed. Um, and there are people who are waiting for us to find ways, led by the Spirit of the Lord, with love to make our next steps our best steps. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Check out our show notes for more information regarding guest contact information. Chris Maxwell's 11th book, Equilibrium, 31 Ways to Stay Balanced on Life's Uneven Surfaces is available now at www.chrismaxwell.me or Amazon, where you can find all of Chris's previous books as well. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. You can find their new musical releases at www.casualamericans.com or at your favorite music suppliers. We release Next Steps Leadership each Thursday, so join us again next week on the Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.